Oh, give us homes built firm upon the Savior, where Christ is head and counselor and guide, where every child is taught his love and favor and gives his heart to Christ the crucified. How sweet to know that, though his footsteps waver, his faithful Lord is walking by his side. Let's pray together. What beautiful words we've just sung, Lord. What a reminder to all of us how important our home is. What an opportunity you give us to influence the life of another human being and to watch them grow to maturity and then to watch them, dear God, living under the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that for us, Father. And I pray it for our children's homes. And I pray it for that next generation. Lord, you're a God who has shown your love to us. You put together and devised a system for us to bring children into this world and for us to love on those children and to help them come to know Christ. And as we do that, Lord, you can see the evidence across our land. But dear God, we have miserably failed in the last several generations. And we see the results of that in our land today. Forgive us, Father, if we've not said or done or modeled what we should have. And forgive us, Lord, if we've said things that we shouldn't have said or done things we should not have done. And help us to know, Lord, that at this very moment as we stand before you and ask for your forgiveness and are assured of it through the shed blood of Christ that we have a whole new beginning. Lord, if we need to do some remodeling of our homes, I pray you'd help us do that. If we need to talk to our children and even grandchildren, I pray you'd give us opportunity and give us the words. And I ask your blessing on our homes and on all of our loved ones. Father, you're the one that calls us together. You're the one who gives us opportunity to to just get some fresh air spiritually and to be encouraged. You're the one, dear God, who gives us an opportunity to be reminded to think in a biblical way and to live in a biblical way. There's so much going on in our country, Lord. The terrible thing that happened in Boston this last week and all that unfolded after that. And Lord, we pray today for the families of those who lost their lives. And we pray for those families and for the individuals who've been hurt, some so very severely. And we pray, dear God, for the ripple effect that has on so many other people. 
and pray that we might come to the right resolve and the right conclusions as a result of it. Lord, there's a young man who's in the hospital. I pray your grace for him. What a witness it would be if he came to know your son. I pray also for justice for him. I pray for his family and for whatever part they may have had in this. And I ask you, Lord, to do a work in all of their lives. Make something good come out of this for everybody who's involved and for our country. We know you're using it, Lord, for good, and pray that you would do that even in our midst. Father, every Sunday when we come together, we have concerns that are concerns unique to our own hearts, concerned about ourselves, or concerned about a loved one or concerned about someone in our family or even someone in our circle of friends. Help us to deal with that sadness or with that challenge, Lord, and help us to keep our focus on you. And help us to see you, dear God, in the midst of that situation, knowing that you're there and that you're mightily at work and that you have not left us to ourselves. I thank you for our church. I thank you, dear God, for the opportunity we have to love and to be loved. I thank you, dear God, for the opportunity you give every one of us to reach out into this community and to show the love of Jesus to other people. Dear God, help people to know us by the love that's so much a part of us. I thank you for bringing us together today, Father. I thank you for the worship we've already experienced, and I thank you for what you're going to do with us through the balance of this time. Accept our thanks that we have a God who's everlasting, that we have a God of mercy and a God of justice, a God of grace and a God of order, and a God that we can trust day in, day out, all the days of our life. Thank you for letting us be your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage this morning comes from Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And as we begin with the 28th verse, we're going to continue our study on the family. Ephesians 5:28 and we're going to study through the 31st verse. Please find your place in the word <clears throat> and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open and to follow along as I move through the verses one verse at a time. Let's get some help. Let's pray. Father, we open your word knowing that you're right here with us and that you're about to speak to us. I pray, dear God, that you'd give us ears to hear. If there's some roadblocks, Lord, spiritually, I pray that you'd help us tear those roadblocks down right now. 
You've got something for each one of us, Father. That's why you brought us here. Please embed it so deeply in our heart that we'll remember it all week long and help us to live it out. Thanks for caring that much about us, Lord. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think if you live in the United States of America and possibly in much of our world, you're aware of what happened this last week in Boston. How a couple of bombs were set off. How children were killed. How people were maimed. And as I thought about all of that, and like you, I've thought about it much of the week since it happened. I'm pretty sure we don't have enough bomb-sniffing dogs to prevent it in the future. I'm pretty sure we don't have enough metal detectors to protect us in public places. I'm pretty sure there aren't enough surveillance cameras to stop the next attack. And you can take all the guns away from all of us, and it's still going to happen, isn't it? Have you asked yourself why? Why two men, one still a teenager, could do such a thing? You see, folks, the problem isn't with security while we need it. The problem is a spiritual problem. Until we own up to that, we're never going to solve these problems. It's a spiritual problem, and it has a spiritual solution. In part, it's us as a nation inviting God to come back on to our land. But for that to happen, something's got to happen in your home and mine. It's got to happen with individuals. And as we start to do what God wants us to do with our lives, you'll see that beautiful ripple effect as it touches our neighbors, our families, and reaches across this country. I have to add this as conviction. It's not about the United States of America. It's not about trying to have a way of life that we've enjoyed in the past. It's about people coming to know Jesus. And God will take care of the rest of it. That's what it's about. And guess where that starts? That starts with you and with me. It starts in our home. Had I known that this was going to happen, and certainly none of us did, even with maybe a little more passion, and I already have a lot of passion about what's going on in the family, I would have planned this series. So I'm thankful to God that we're starting at the point of origin where we can start fixing the problem and see his hand bless us. I want you to look with me as we continue our study on the family. And I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 28 through verse 31. 
And folks, listen very carefully. And picture in your heart, in your mind, God standing here and saying, I want to talk to you. And here's what he's got to say. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. May God add his blessing to the reading of his intention for our families. I hope as I read that, you had a little checklist, and you were checking off some of those things as you thought about your own family, and as you think about your children and even your grandchildren. If you look very carefully at the 28th verse, it begins by saying, so husbands ought, there's that word ought again. It occurred a little earlier in this passage, and we talked about it two weeks ago, as the Lord spoke to wives. And he said, wives ought to be submissive to their husbands in all things. If that's hard for you, ladies, do something about it. We've got to make some radical changes in our families. So I challenge you, do something about it. Learn how to bite your tongue or whatever it takes, but do something. And then he turns around and uses that same word, ought, and he says, husbands ought to love their wives. That implies a lot of husbands don't love their wives, not in a biblical sense. We talked last week about eros love, which is a self-serving, self-pleasing love. And that's not the kind of love we're being called, we men, to have for our wives. Instead, we're being called to have what kind of love? Agape, a sacrificial. I want to do for you. I want to make you happy. My wife's going to check in on this, I know. But that's the whole purpose. God says for this thing to work right, we need to love our wives. He uses that word ought because he's not making us do this. Instead, what he wants us to do, husbands and wives, when he uses the word ought, he wants us to say, this is what God wants, so we ought to do it. God knows what's best for us. He loves us, and he wants our families to be healthy places for us and for our children. I thought it was ironic this last week. People are trying to figure out What caused these two men to do these terrible things? The president of Chesnia made a statement through his spokesman. And I sat and read it, and I was just overwhelmed how God touches all kinds of folks and gets them to understand the truth. The president of Chesnia, among other things, said, and I'm paraphrasing him, he said, those boys were not mature when they were in my country. They didn't grow up here. Maybe they're from here, but that's not where they learned about life. He said, instead, you need to go talk to the people who raised them. Isn't that profound? From a land that's a Muslim land, not a Christ-centered land. 
it starts with us. It starts with us realizing we need to role model for our children. And we need to realize the real blessing that God has for us if we will do what he wants us to do in the family. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives. It's no mistake he put the word own in there. Remember he said, I want wives to be subject to their husbands, not to everybody. They're to be subject to some other folks in a different way. But it's a unique thing when a wife is subject to her husband or a husband loves his wife. I believe if you could get at the root of a lot of the problem in a lot of our families, you'd find that men love someone other than their own wife. They either love themselves more than they do their wife, and that never works. Or they love some other lady, either through fantasy, through pornography, through even physical contact. Can you imagine how that breaks the heart of God? And you know what it does behind closed doors in a family? It destroys the relationship between the husband and wife, even if the wife never knows about it. Because something happens inside the man as he sins that corrupts that whole relationship. It does something about his ability to love his wife unselfishly and to put her first. I'm reminded of the Old Testament passage. Amnon and Tamar, half-brother-sister, children of David. Amnon notices his half-sister as she started to grow up and mature. He starts to fantasize, and that's where sin always begins, right up here. It doesn't begin with the touch or with the spoken word. It starts in our mind. He starts to fantasize being with his half-sister. He becomes obsessed with it. As you read through the scripture, you realize how compelling that sin is and how it has made him a captive. Same thing happens to men today. When we let our minds go somewhere they should not go. Finally, he finds somebody who wants to help him do wrong. And they come up with a scheme to tell King David, Amnon's dad, that he's sick and he needs his half-sister to come care for him. And King David, unaware of what's going on, sends the half-sister. Amnon violates her against her will. Once it's over, she begs him and says, let's go tell dad what's just happened, and he will surely give me to you. And do you remember what Amnon did? The heart that loved her so much now hates her. And he puts her in disgrace out of his presence. Who in their right mind thinks that God is going to bless sin? And what happened inside that man was a complete reversal, and it's because he was doing that which was wrong. 
if you want to inflict pain on your marriage and if you want to just humble it by cutting knees out from under it, let your mind, gentlemen, go someplace it shouldn't. And in that sense, divorce yourself from your wife. And your marriage will not work. I was trying to figure out how to say that tactfully so you all get it. Did I do that? I also want you to know I'm glad that part of this sermon is over. If you look at verses 28 through 30, there's an amazing thing that God unfolds for us. I doubt very seriously any of us would ever figure this out on our own. And that's why he gives it to us today. He starts talking to us about husbands and our self-esteem. And so often what we do is we look in places for self-esteem that's unproductive or counterproductive. We get involved in all kinds of things. Some of the things that touch so many of us where we're looking for our self-esteem has to do with our paycheck. I guess there are men who are immune to that. I haven't met very many. Not in the ministry, not in the business world, not anywhere. Seems we're wired that way. And we put that paycheck before our wives and we put that paycheck before our families. And what do we do? We try to justify it by saying, I'm doing this for you. And that ain't true. We're doing that for ourselves, if we're honest. Second thing is we want position. We want a position that's a respected position. We want a position that other people will look to us. And we're willing to sacrifice all kinds of things to get that position. And third thing is we want power. We don't want God to be in control. The truth is we want to be in control. We want to rule our home and want to rule anybody we can. And there's this trickle-down effect where if we're under somebody else's authority, we're looking for somebody to have authority over. And all of that messes us up. And we never feel good about ourselves. We lose our self-esteem. It's counterproductive. And there are a multitude of other things that we do that are counterproductive. So what the Lord does is he says to us in these verses, let me tell you how you can have self-esteem. You notice he doesn't say go to the Christian bookstore or the bookstore and buy a book on self-esteem. You know what he does? He says it's real simple. It has to do with the way you love your wife. And if you love your wife, you'll have a sense of well-being inside. And when you get up in the morning, you won't mind looking in the mirror. And you'll see the beauty of the person you're with. And you'll have the ability spiritually to share with your children so they can begin to follow your role model. And how much our kids need to learn to love their wives. So there's real purpose. There's a thing in our society that is really a disabling kind of thing. It's a hedonistic adaptation that goes on. Hedonistic in the sense that it's self-serving, pleasure-serving, 
We're trying to get as much as we can for ourselves, we men. And unfortunately, we have more and more women in our society now doing this. It used to be pretty much a male characteristic. Adaptation means that what we do is we want more and more, and as we start to get more, we adapt ourselves to that situation, and then we want more again. And we get some more, and we adapt ourselves and kind of grow into that lifestyle, and then we want some more again. And what our wives need is for us to show our affection and our love to them to be there for them, to protect them, to provide for them, to offer stability in the family. They don't need more. We live in the richest country in this world. We are more blessed than anybody else in the whole world. Granted, we have some economic problems. Our standard of living is still more than adequate to take care of us. We, gentlemen, need to take care of our wives. We need to take care of our families. And then you'll feel good about yourself. And all that other stuff will never help us to feel good about ourselves. Not ever. If you look on down in verse 31, there's a reminder to us It comes from Genesis 2, when in the very beginning God began to explain, and he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. I want you to notice the use of the word shall three times in this verse. First time he says you shall leave your father and mother. God's intention is that we not stay at home. Children are staying home longer now than they have, I think, in the history of our country but certainly in modern times. Sometimes for just reasons, because it's a necessity, because they can't get a job in our workplace today. There are lots of reasons, but God's intention is that when a man and woman come together and are blessed by him, that they should be together and that they ought to leave home. I love the response of Adam. God makes Eve for him and presents Eve, and he says, Wow! Bone of my bone! He got excited. You and I ought to be excited. Because God's the author of marriage. And if you're married, it's because he's brought somebody to you. A beautiful thing, Adam said. And then God says, and I want you to leave your mom and dad. He's talking to wives and husbands. The relationship now needs to change. What you and I have been doing when we're growing up in a mom and dad's home is we're bonding to mom and dad. We're looking to mom and dad for the security. We're looking for the things that we need to help meet life's challenges. When we step out into a relationship and become husband and wife, a whole new bonding process is to start. And you have to cry together. And you have to want together. And you have to seek God's help together. And as we do that, the bonding works, and we become husband and wife. There's so many people today who are living together who are not husband and wife. And they have all kinds of outward signs that it's not a marriage. 
because they have so many things they hold separately and that they protect and defend. And what God wants is this blending with his blessing. Folks, when you see people doing that, lovingly and gracefully speak out and let them know what they're missing because they're missing what God intended for them. Now, someone has said to me, does this mean that when we get married, we just say, bye, mom and dad? No, because scripture teaches that we are to honor our parents, and that commandment doesn't just disappear. It's still binding on us. But the role relationship has now changed. I know a man, he's in the ministry, who loves his mom and dad and feels compelled to care for them. So he lives in a city where they are and really won't consider a call anywhere else to another church. I have said to him, he's first, your family's second, and your mom and dad are after your family. He's still in that town where his folks are. He has now come to the conclusion, because their lifestyle has become so demanding, that he is going to resign his pulpit to care for his mom and dad. There are other ways to do that. That's not healthy. He can provide for his family in other ways. Don't you imagine the hardship that now exists between he and his wife when he has elevated his mom and dad and their needs above his wife's? So what the Lord is saying to us is, I want you to leave your mom and dad. I want you to bond in a new relationship, and I want you to learn to trust, and I want you to learn to be there for each other. And I also want you to take care of your family, your extended family, moms and dads, because you're to glorify them and honor them. But I want you to do that with balance in your life. And I don't want you to put your parents before your spouse. He says to us in that 31st verse, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, second shall, and shall be joined to his wife. Not joined to somebody else. Joined in the sense of interlocking, learning to trust, learning to forgive, learning to be there, learning to hold each other, learning to encourage each other. Join together as one. And you know how you get there? One day at a time. And if you think in terms for younger folks of being married 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, all that starts to make sense. But if you're thinking just about today and tomorrow, that makes no sense at all. We need to help people rethink all of this. What we advocate today sounds so radical because we have moved so far away from the teachings of God in Scripture. And we need to bring it back into accord with his teaching. And then he says the third shell, and they shall become one flesh. Gentlemen, if you're sitting next to your wife, please don't do this to somebody else. If you're sitting next to your wife, 
I want you to take your index finger on your right hand, and I want you to scratch her on the arm right now. Now, wives, look at me. Can you feel it? Can you? Wives, I want you to take your index finger and do the same thing to your husband. Can you feel that? You know what that is? It's becoming one flesh. And what God wants us to do is not to literally reach out and scratch each other, but he wants us to feel for each other. He wants us to understand each other. Linda kids me because she keeps finishing my sentences. I know none of you have had that experience. Well, you know what that is? That's 51 and a half years. And she knows where I'm going and how I'm thinking. Well, that's what being one flesh is. And that's a positive. That's not a negative. As long as she says what I'm thinking. Well, there are a few times that doesn't happen. Do you understand what God wants for us? It's such a beautiful thing he wants. And we've messed it up so bad. I want to end this way. If you dare, if you have a spouse, have a chat this afternoon and say, what can I do to help our marriage be more like Scripture teaches? Compound challenge. Second part. Maybe you need to make contact with your children. Maybe you need to say something to someone that you see on a regular basis who has an unproductive marriage. If you understand the things of God, for goodness sake, share them with other people. Let's pray together. Father, when we stop and just analyze what you have done for us, it's absolutely beautiful. You've given us a formula to live by. You encourage us to do part of it willingly. And on the other hand, Lord, you tell us the parts that we shall experience because this is how you've set it up. I pray for our families. And I pray, dear God, that we would share the truth with other people. That we might live in a place where more and more families know what you want and are willing through Jesus Christ to allow those things to happen. Thank you, Father, for our time in your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.